Welcome, you guys. Glad to see you. And as we enter into this temple of time, let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word now and just receive some encouragement of how we can look to Jesus in troublesome times and good times and joyful times, we can keep looking to Jesus. Help us to see how this focus will bring us true joy and happiness. And we can meet every challenge with it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a beginning of a series, and I, I'm going to keep this lesson short because we have a number of commitments to Christ that we want to honor, and so this will tie right into our baptism. But as I think of the challenges of life, as I think of the commitments that we make to Christ, it's really Jesus who enables us to meet every challenge. And that includes things that are going on in our lives, and yet He sends people along the way to remind us. He sends experiences. And here I was over at the uh, Cape Blanco State Park, and you can see my boys throwing the stones into the water there. And soon after I went along the shoreline, it's almost like the Lord begins to speak to you sometimes in those quiet moments when the, the waves are roaring, when it just seems like every other sound fades into nothingness because of what you're experiencing. And I began to go down that coastline there, and as I was walking, and then I eventually turned around and came back, I could see little ships just bobbing out there in the ocean and thinking to myself, it's almost like the Lord is saying, Murray, whatever you are going through, I will be with you always. Even if it seems like you feel small and insignificant, even if it feels like you could be overwhelmed by the waves that are going on in this life, stand firm, keep moving forward. I will be with you always. Stay faithful to me. And as I continued to ponder that as I walked back, wind blowing my hair all over the place and just soaking in the cool ocean air. I looked at those ships again, and I thought of different tragic things that have happened out in the ocean as well. Can you imagine being out in the ocean for a couple of hours in frigid temperatures like we looked at last week with the unsinkable ship? Can you imagine wondering to yourself, am I going to get through this, even if you're on a lifeboat? And yet some thought that that was potentially an avoidable disaster because if they would have hit the iceberg head-on and met it, there might have been different results. It's arguable. But deep down, both my experience of walking beside the shore and their experience in the ocean bring us to one question. Today, in front of each one of us, is there some kind of iceberg, some kind of obstacle that we need to meet, and how do we meet that? And before we're done, I hope that we can see that we face it with the one who's loved us dearly, Jesus Christ himself. In fact, it's not a new message. In 1 John, it says that a message of joy is what really helps us during those times. In 1 John 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. And John is talking about his friend Jesus. He's saying, Jesus told me to handle, to feel, to touch. He touched those nail scars. He calls Jesus the word of life. This is the one that helps us. He says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. We bear witness and show to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. It came to us through Jesus Christ, our friend, the one who helps us during those times. And I could think of John just watching in the boat as Peter sinks down on the water and Jesus takes him by the hand and pulls him up out of that experience. He does the same thing for each one of us. Those hands touched Peter and brought him out of that experience. 
And so he's talking about Jesus. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. There's something about having this joy together. Even as I was walking the beaches there on Sabbath afternoon, I thought about you. I thought, you know, yes, I'm here on the shoreline, but yet there's something that pulls me, almost like we find the pull of the waves to hit the shoreline, something that pulls me together with other believers. And that's really what our special focus is about here today. Individuals who are taking a, fo- a commitment, making a commitment to Jesus Christ, but also they need support, and we need support in this journey, and He sends all of us this common fellowship together, this friendship. And the word for co- fellowship is koinonia. It's a friendship that's likened to comrades in combat. It's likened to even deeper than that between spouses. Deep friendships. That's what He desires here in this building as we come together. That's what He desires in our homes as we minister to our own families. That's what He desires for everybody around us is this deep friendship and love. And so we face whatever comes before us with a message of Jesus. And that's why He says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I was there in my study this morning just writing down, I said, Lord, I, 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 I've spent all week in the Scriptures and I just want to ask you a question. Lord, what would you invite me to do today? And he said, just bask in the joy of the day. Just sit back and relax and enjoy what I'm going to do today. I may use you, I may use others to bring about that joy, but just experience the joy of today. He could say that to us every day, couldn't he? Even if there's dark moments, even if there's problems, he can say, look for the joyful things as well. But we know in Scripture there's also an antichrist power that tries to undermine this, and we'll talk more about this later on in coming weeks. But ultimately the goal of the devil is to really put anything in place of Christ to the point where that joy is taken away. And that's why John hits the antichrist head on and says, this is what he teaches. This is why Jesus is against Jesus. And he says, that's not the way we are. We are to hit this false picture of Jesus. This false system of worship. This system that undermines the words of life. Jesus himself. We're to hit it head on. And so how are we to hit it head on? We're to believe the words of life. The words of life, we find John is referring to Jesus. He's referring to what we would have in our hands, the Word of God, that beautiful Bible that we all have in our homes. Some of us have many of them. This is what he's referring to. And so anything that would undermine the Word of God to John undermines Jesus. And so we must uphold the Word of God. We must lift it up. And next week I'll begin doing that as we look into some of that some more. In the last days, it says that even in the church, we need to continue that focus because this spirit of lawlessness would come in and sit even in the temple of God, showing Himself that He is God. This spirit of undermining Jesus could even come into churches. And in Hebrews 12, it tells us the temple, Zion, is really the church of the firstborn, the church of Jesus. And so here today, I want to encourage us to make sure we're focusing on Jesus, make sure we're upholding the Word of God, even if there are huge waves of maybe even higher criticism and things coming against the Bible, we can face them as we look to Jesus Christ.
That's why John says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. That's a huge statement. There's some people who believe the Bible's a group of fairy tales. And as we look at that concept, we know John is saying that isn't the case. I touched, I felt, I saw Jesus. And not only him, but 150 other witnesses. How many witnesses does it take to prove that somebody existed? That somebody had actually done what they claimed to do? He has over 150, and John is one of them, and says if they don't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're not of God. That's the foundational truth of Scripture, is that God did not leave us spiritual orphans. Did not leave us alone when the Garden of Eden took place. In fact, yes, He escorted them out, but as He escorted them out of the Garden, He gave them a promise, there will be a way back. And He Himself stationed the flaming angels. And can you imagine, this is eventually His name is Jesus, standing there watching the couple leave and saying to Himself, I'm going to call them back. I'm going to bring them back, no matter what it takes, including coming and being one of them and dying for them. And so this basic belief, John is saying, if, if that's undermined, the plan of salvation, that Jesus actually, God actually could become one of us. Miracle of miracles. Can you imagine that? The God of the universe who, who holds all these galaxies in their places, becoming one of us. That takes faith to believe that. It takes more faith also to continue trusting that and saying, Lord, yes, I'm going through troubles, but I know you can do a miracle in my situation. And so we must believe in the inspiration of the Bible, including that Jesus he became one of us. He loved us. He died for us. And that's what baptism is going to symbolize here today, is this beautiful teaching of Jesus. And so I believe we can stand against the lawlessness or this idea of there's a couple of extremes in lawlessness. There are those who just kind of believe that anything goes, which we know that's not true from our own human experience. There are actions of love, and we recognize them. That's what we find in the Ten Commandments and even in the very Spirit of God Himself. And then there are those who are the opposite extreme where if they would make a checklist, it would get longer and longer as their experience goes on. And if you don't attain it, then you're not perfect enough. That's not true either. That's lawlessness. Because if you're looking at a list rather than Jesus Christ Himself who writes that on your heart, then something has come in the place of Jesus. And that's Antichrist. And so to Paul and to John, we believe that Jesus died to uphold His way of love, His beautiful law of love, that if we would all keep by His power and His indwelling Spirit, we would have perfect provision for a victorious Christian life. We also believe that Jesus died to undermine our natural attempts, because it's natural to try to compare ourselves to each other. And can you really compare yourself to Jesus? I mean, you could die for your own sin and I could die for mine. That's it, though. There would be no life after that. And so we find Jesus lives that perfect life, and if we could somehow add to it, then really at that point we have a huge plank in our eye and we begin seeing other people through our own lenses rather than through the lenses of Jesus Christ. Narcissism develops and perfectionism. And so we have to watch out for that lawlessness as well. So I believe we accept and we ask Jesus to write His law of love on our hearts. That's why Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself. I'm trusting every day that the, even the good actions like this is because Christ prompted those actions through love. And we see that love. And then we respond in turn. I was to the point where I was almost going to tell them, won't you wait till next week? Because I want to focus on the ones who are celebrating today. But I receive this out of love for you. And I give out of love for you. And so that same love, that perfect power comes in us and it helps us to meet every challenge. Years ago, there was a story of a steamship. This was in 1904. And I put it up on the screen just to read it to you. It says, Shortly before I sent out the testimonies regarding the efforts of the enemy to undermine the foundation of our faith, Scripture, Jesus Himself, that message of life and joy, there would be seductive theories that would undermine it. I had read an incident about a ship in a fog meeting an iceberg. Now, this is in 1904. When is the Titanic taking place? Twelve, right? So this, is, this, this isn't uncommon for that day and age. It, it happened. And some even got to the point where they made these certain types of advancements on their ships where they could hit an iceberg and certain sized ones they could really hit and destroy. They could go right through it and meet it head on. But she watches in this, in this dream that she has, for several nights I slept but little. I seemed to be bowed down as a cart beneath the sheaves. One night a scene passed it was clearly presented before me. A vessel was upon the waters. In a heavy fog, suddenly the lookout cried, Iceberg just ahead. There, towering high above the ship, was a gigantic iceberg, high above the ship. An authoritative voice cried out, Meet it. That's not what you do with the technology you had at that day to meet a huge iceberg that big. But meet it. Can you imagine being the captain, being told? And you're like, all right. And so you keep reading, and it says, There was not a moment's hesitation. It was a time for instant action. The engineer put on full steam and the man at the wheel steered the ship straight into the iceberg. Can you imagine having this dream? And that would be amazing. <laughs> Here you are. And if you were living then that day, you know how crazy that might have actually sounded to you. With a crash, she struck the ice. There was a fearful shock. The iceberg broke into many pieces. So it hits it, boom, slows it down a little bit, and you start seeing the iceberg in the dream just come apart, falling with a noise like thunder to the deck. The passengers were violently shaken by the force of the collision, but no lives were lost. The vessel was injured, but not beyond repair. She rebounded from the contact, trembling from stem to stern like a living creature, trembling. Then she moved forward on her way. So how do we meet deceptive teachings? How do we meet things that try to take our minds away from Jesus? It's pretty clear. We meet it with Jesus. Every single challenge. And so here we are today. We'll look at the tip of the iceberg next week. And we'll look at we'll hammer pantheism, teachings of revelation, how they're undermined. We're going to hammer the ones who are trying to go against different key teachings of the Bible. We're going to hit each one of them. But basically, it's just simple. What, if somebody's introducing something to me, does it have to do with Jesus? And especially for new believers, that's the simplest question to answer. If someone introduces something to you in your new Christian walk, and I'm talking to those who are especially new in their baptismal experience here today, say to yourself, and if, even if you've been around a long time, what does this have to do with Jesus, my friend? Because if, they're undermining, if something is undermining Jesus, you know that it goes against your baptismal vows, and you know 
that it goes against the very symbol of baptism itself. Believe Jesus. Trust Jesus. Uh, maybe this story would have been different if they would have hit the iceberg head on. We don't know. We're, we're just told that. But as I go back to the shoreline, there are disasters that we can avoid. And really, it's by trusting Jesus. And so we're going to go to our Bibles in the coming weeks. We're going to keep fulfilling the mission of Christ. But there is an expression that upholds the Bible teachings of Jesus. An expression. Or as some say, you can have a teaching that's here, but once you express it outwardly, it becomes more real to you. It's not something magical in a sense, but it's more of an acted out faith. And today we have individuals who want to say, you know what, I'm trusting Jesus. I want to be part of your fellowship. We want to go steam forward ahead and meet anything that we face together as a loving body of Jesus, as a family of Christ. And that's what baptism symbolizes. That people believe that Jesus died for them after living that perfect life. That He was buried. That, he's coming, that He came out of the tomb and He's coming back to receive us. And so today when you see our loving brothers and sisters going under the water, that's a death to the old way of life. It's saying, I trust Jesus, You died for me. It's coming out in the newness of life and it's saying, Hallelujah, I'm looking forward to Your soon return. And it's in us as a church family to surround them and to hug them and to be the ones to encourage them and they will encourage us and challenge us as well. And so it's a day of joy where we meet the challenges together. And so once you believe in Jesus, you turn and you are baptized. You turn, it means repent, and you keep following Jesus all the days of your life. So I would say to those who are here to be baptized, keep looking to Jesus. No matter what happens, turn to Him. And when you do, He'll say, full steam, and you'll hit whatever comes right at you, and you'll be surprised. It just all of a sudden falls away. You might even find that it was a mirage in front of you, some kind of deceptive smoke screen, if you will, and you just go right through it as He beckons you, follow me.